we are talking about the beginning of the end. And how you and I as the body of Christ, we are the beginning of the end of injustice. Especially when we go and we do justice. When we bring justice. When we live justice out moment by moment, day by day. Speaking of justice, I hope you'll do everything in your power to get to our inaugural Love and Justice Conference Starts right here in this room next Friday and runs Saturday into Sunday. We're gathering up a bunch of people who are really impassioned about issues of love and justice. We're bringing them together for what will be a fantastic weekend. My college buddy, Shane Claiborne, who I lived with in college, he always extorts me when he comes here uh, not to tell the stories from college about me. And so I'll have a big bill I'll have to pay with him, you know, like, please, Shane, just don't tell that story, please, whatever you do. Uh, none of them bad, of course, just uh, terribly embarrassing, and so, so uh, I'll pay up gladly. Uh, and I hope you'll get yourself there, here. Uh, I registered my whole family for the thing. I think it's that important, and so even like our nine-year-old daughter, Jasmine, she's going to be there, and uh, we think it matters that much. So I invite you to register today out in the lobby. You can register online, loveandjusticemt.com, I think it is. And uh, it'll be a super weekend starting on Friday. Part of the reason we talk about issues of love and justice as the church is because when we turn to Genesis chapter 3 in the Bible, the unfolding redemptive story of God, we see the story about the terrible day when humanity fell into sin and God's perfect shalom was violated forever. And I heard someone once call it a moment really of cosmic treason. That's what that was when humanity fell into sin. Adam and Eve willingly disrupted their relationship with God by rebelling intentionally against Him, thereby introducing the damage into their and our relationship with God that we experience to this very day. That sin entered in and really wrecked the order and goodness of God's perfect world. All the peace disintegrated. Sin upended humanity's love for God. That in turn became idolatry. Love of neighbor gets upended. That became the exploitation of others. And it's my view that one of the most tragic exploitation of others is this terrible sin called human trafficking. Literally. One of the most tragic exploitations of others is human trafficking. Another word for trafficking, you can sub this word in any time, it makes perfect sense, is the word slavery, which today is the fastest growing criminal industry on planet Earth. Trafficking or slavery, whichever you call it, is the recruitment, it's the transportation, the harboring, the taking of people by means of threat, force, coercion, abduction, fraud, or deception for the purpose of exploiting them. I'm going to take you and I'm going to do what I want to with you, another human being. And the United Nations estimates that two and a half, 2.5 million people are trafficked around the world every single year. 2.5 million people. And victims of slavery or trafficking are forced into labor or sexual exploitation most often. Labor trafficking ranges from domestic servitude 
to small-scale labor operations, to large-scale labor operations like farms, sweatshops, and multinational corporations. Sex trafficking today is one of the most profitable forms of trafficking. It involves any form of sexual exploitation whatsoever, prostitution, pornography, bride trafficking, as well as the commercial sexual abuse of children, innocent children. And we hear all that and we're overwhelmed. You're like, Brian, why do we have to hear about such hopelessness? We want our souls to be lifted. But in the face of that kind of hopelessness, here's what we know. Evil and violence do not have the final word. Not even close. Because you see, the antithesis of God is not capable of creating or ultimately defining reality. That's God's prerogative and God's alone. However, what we know is that evil and violence perverts and destroys and distorts. Evil and violence become parasites that glob onto God's good creation, which means that evil, especially evil like trafficking and slavery, they actually serve as the backdrop of the stage where God's redemption can shine with even greater brilliance and more pronounced drama. Because my, look what God's doing. Because that which evil uses to destroy, God uses to expose and erase and then, well, to heal. Watch this. Hi, my name is Stephanie and I'm a survivor of sex trafficking. My family are wonderful people. My father and mother would not um, really have a hard time, even today, thinking that their children would have had any problems at all. But there was abuse by a cousin in our family while we were on vacation. And he had told me, and this is typical of most individuals that create trafficking situations or abuse, he had said that if I told anyone, including my mom and dad, that they wouldn't see me again. And I remember it was my parents' reaction telling me that it had never happened, that it couldn't have happened, that, there's, that I was lying. And I remember thinking, I will never, I will never be under your authority again. I don't feel protected. I remember being that angry that I wasn't going to go home. But I became better and better at running away, better and better at coping, and fear was just overtaking me. Emotional and traumatic events will often create the prime circumstance for the enemy to come in, for flattery, for individuals that can just easily deceive in fear and anger. Emotions can really interfere with protection that God wants to give you, and I did not accept my parents anymore. When I was 13, I finally succeeded, and I was gone for a couple of weeks. And it was during that time that I met an individual who looked very young. He was very sharp. He was very nice to me. He was very um, appropriate at first. And then I found out he had lots of other girls that were in the same position I was. And within that week, he started the staging of getting me ready for prostitution. The staging process was um, taking me to different houses where there were couples or individuals that were um, interested in younger, young, 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 young girls and boys. 
So dropping me off and leaving me with them and then introducing me to friends. There's actually three different types of trafficking that goes on. The first is, is called voluntary. And these are the girls that you're going to hear about that say, I'm just making enough money to get through school, or I'm just making a little extra money on the side. They consider themselves the same as exotic dancers or escorts. They don't perceive it as a negative. The second group are either family, friend, or girls that I met that don't have a choice. Their families have raised them to be available to friends, to mom's boyfriends, to... These is a whole separate setup that is just as damaging as being held as a commodity. And the third group are the girls that may be going to a local high school and they get hijacked by nice-looking young men who just want to get to know you a little better and then you end up taking off to go to California or you end up taking off to go to Arizona with them for a trip, which ends up you realize you're not going to be leaving for a while. The girls, regardless of voluntary, regardless of family, regardless of whatever, these are traumatic experiences. Every single person that comes into that hotel room, every single person that they're sent off with in a car, in the back of your mind, you don't know. You don't know if you're coming home. You don't know where you're gonna end up that night. My life took a different turn. I actually walked into a church in Las Vegas, Nevada, where they, the worship, the presence of God was in that, the room right off the streets. And I'll tell you that that is still the most powerful deterrent trafficking that there is, and that he is the answer. And, and um, it doesn't mean that life was perfect, that the journey out of trafficking, the emotions are, are immediately set at peace. But what it does mean is that he's willing to walk us out of anything that we begin with him. And that right there is why our work as followers of Jesus Christ individually and our work together as the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Jesus Christ, when it comes to justice and mercy is so incredibly important. Because for those who are in the grip of suffering, for those who have been enslaved or who have been trafficked, they're incapable of seeing past even today's heartbreaks to hold on to the hope that tomorrow just might be different, that tomorrow they just might be able to be freed from those chains of injustice. And what happens when God's people, you and I, become involved in breaking chains of injustice and slavery is that the story of Jesus Christ offers perspective and hope. Because within the story of Christ, what we see is that God has always and forever been in the business of making all things new, of bringing freedom and light to a world, a dark world of suffering and need, which helps to connect us not only with those who have gone before, but also with the powerful deliverance of God's freeing work of the past. That story bore itself out with Moses as he led what was arguably the greatest liberation movement of enslaved people in all of human history. The world's most entrenched slave population, well, they got set free. And in Exodus chapter 14, the Israelites left Egypt quite boldly. The people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. Yes! We're out of here. In defiance 
of their Egyptian captors. And why not? They had just witnessed 10 incredibly crippling plagues that God himself had rained down on the nation and people of Egypt. They were led by a pillar of fire by night. They were shielded from the sun with the cloud of God by day. They plundered their captors, the Egyptians, and they're literally walking into the promised land with the wealth of their enemies dripping from their necks. We robbed them blind. And for just like a split second, they felt as if they had arrived. Like, yes. That feeling didn't last long, though, did it? You can almost see the hearts of the Israelites melting as they look in the rearview mirror and see that Pharaoh and his entire army are in hot pursuit, horses and chariots and this incredibly vast army. And look at what they say to Moses. Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians, please. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. And all they can see, all the Israelites can see, is the utter hopelessness of what's about to happen to them right then. They're so gripped by their hopelessness, as a matter of fact, that they lament and they long for the quote-unquote security of being slaves. Just give us the predictability of being an oppressed people group. Just give us the comfort of being held captive against our will. We'll take that any day of the week. Which is exactly why when it comes to modern day slavery, we all need the hope and perspective that comes from seeing Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate capital L liberator, seeing his actions down through history. I hope we all walk out these doors today with this question burning in our hearts. How is it possible that my Jesus can use me to save people from the hell that they are living in right now? Millions and millions of people, human beings, created in the image of God, living as commodities, bought and sold children being locked in dark rooms by the tens and hundreds of thousands, unspeakable acts being forced upon them. How can Jesus use me, use us to do anything about their plight? God, please tell me. I'm a pastor. I get this incredible privilege, day in and day out almost, of seeing lots and lots of people cross the line of faith in Jesus Christ. And what I know is that Jesus saves sinners, most of all me. But until just a handful of years ago, I was a little fuzzy about whether or not Jesus was all about transforming society and doing things like freeing young girls and young boys from the hellish nightmare of slavery. And through a series of events in my own life, I got real clear, real fast about the truth that God absolutely intends to transform souls and society both. 
and I'm convinced today more than I've ever been that God is not going to stop until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because what we know is that he's not finished until the true Moses descends from heaven putting a once and for all end to slavery and captivity of every stripe until he ushers in global justice that it's the way that it's intended to be all things made new, he's not done. Not even close. And one of the things I want you to see today is that God's deliverance of the Israelites, as recorded in what's called the Song of Moses, it actually becomes the song of our own pursuit of justice here on planet Earth. It becomes for us a hymn that gives us hope as well as captives because see God's deliverance of Israel is meant to be our pattern as people who go and do and go and bring justice as we view our going and doing and bringing justice through the lens of God's work in making all things new Exodus 14 Starting in verse 24, this is how the story ends. Lots of you know the story. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians said. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh, of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. And the Lord saved Israel that day. The capital L liberator liberates his people from an unimaginable oppressor. And while modern day slaves may not know chapter and verse of God's liberating, freeing story, Many, 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 many of them catch glimpses of it from time to time. I have a pastor, professor, friend who does quite a bit of work internationally, quite a bit of traveling internationally, and he tells a story about a time when he was walking into his hotel in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. As he walked across the parking lot from his car to the lobby of the hotel, he was intercepted by three girls, young girls, way too young for this sort of interception. One of the three girls spoke up and said, Mister, for ten bucks you can have me all night long. My friend was absolutely stunned. He looked at the girl standing next to her and he said, I'm an old man. Would you let me have you all night for ten bucks? She said, Yep, sure would. He looked at the third one who was doing her best to look seductive, but it's hard, very, very hard to look seductive when you're seventeen when your mom and dad have died, when you've got siblings to feed, and the only way you know how to earn money is by selling your body. She said, yep, me too. My friend said, you're in luck. I've got 30 bucks. I'm staying in room 210. Be up there in 30 minutes. 
not before. Now, lots of you right now are judging me and the company I keep, friends that I have, but let me finish the story before you rush to judgment. My friend rushed to his room. He picked up the phone, called down to the concierge desk, and he said, I want every last Walt Disney video you have on the shelves of this hotel. He hung up the phone from that call, and he called the hotel restaurant, and he said, I want banana splits, the biggest banana splits you've ever made, overflowing bowls of ice cream, extra whipped cream, cherries, syrup, nuts. I want four huge banana splits. And the videos arrived in my friend's room, and the banana splits arrived in my friend's room. And my friend and those three little girls sat on the edge of the bed until one o'clock in the morning, and they had a party when at 1 a.m. the last one of them fell asleep, draped across the bed. And my friend stood up from where he was sitting on the bed watching a Walt Disney movie, and he looked at these precious, sweet girls draped across the bed, and he thought, I haven't affected any change whatsoever. Nothing's different. Nothing's changed. Nothing at all. Tomorrow, these sweet girls someone's daughter. They'll be back on the streets selling themselves to dirty, filthy men because they'll always be dirty, filthy men willing to destroy little girls' lives for 10 bucks a night. And in this moment of despair, he's just throwing up his hand saying, nothing's changed, nothing's different. It doesn't matter. And my friend said he heard the Lord whisper right into his soul, but for just one night, but for just one night, you let them be kids again. For just one night, you gave them back their childhood. For just one night. And if even for just one night, the story of God's redemptive story is the model for we who go do justice, live justice, we who set captives free today. And in the song of Moses, we find hope and we find perspective as we battle modern day slavery. It's in Exodus chapter 15. The Israelites have crossed. They've been miraculously saved. Their captors have been destroyed. And the freed army of the Lord, an entire former slave nation who's been liberated through the mighty acts of God, they sing this hymn to God in Exodus 15, starting in verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And can you imagine, it wasn't like this little mediocre me, 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 singing. Not even close. I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. They would have belted that at the top of their lungs. Which begs the question, just because God freed the slaves of Egypt... And just because God freed the slaves of the early United States of America, does that in turn mean that the slaves of Bangkok or Mexico City or Las Vegas, does it mean they will see their liberation? Does it? Does it really? 
And the answer to that question is absolutely, because Jesus gives hope, absolutely. Because see, Jesus not only died on the cross for sin, he also died, he also came to set captives free. He is the true liberator, offering real solutions for the injustices of our time. And in the work of the person of Jesus Christ, we see the beauty of God's grand story. And the song of Moses connects with the work of Jesus Christ himself. And what we know is that before Jesus went to the cross to take the punishment of God onto himself, he institutes the celebration of communion. Matthew chapter 26. And he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them as disciples and he said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, he said which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And the cup symbolizes the liberation, the forgiveness. Jesus taking God's punishment on our behalf on the cross. He took it. What we also know is that the night before Jesus went to the cross, he stopped to cry out in prayer to God in the garden. Verse 39 of Matthew 26, he went a little further and bowed with his face to the ground. He's grinding it in the dirt and in the dust. This isn't some little like weenie prayer. Oh God, please. He's got his face down in the dust. Praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Take it, please. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine, not mine. And see, what Christ knows is that the cup for him is the cup of the unrestrained penalty of God poured out on him on the cross for the sins of all of the world, and check this out, as well as the systemic evils of all time and space, all poured out on him, including the sin the evil of slavery. He's taking it. And on the cross, Jesus became the storehouse for the penalty of evil and sin, stretching back to the beginning of time until the end of all time. He takes it all. He takes it. Every last bit of it. And in John chapter 19, starting in verse 28, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there. And sour wine, you cannot imagine a worse beverage than, I mean, really. And so they soaked a sponge in it. They put it on a hyssop branch and they held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. It is finished. And the very next time that that phrase is uttered in Scripture is in Revelation chapter 16. When after the scroll is unfurled through the breaking of the seven seals, after the coming penalty of God has been pronounced through the seven blasts of the trumpets, after each one of the seven bowls or cups of God's penalty are poured out, only then... Does God announce, it is finished. And it's in that moment that Jesus pours back out upon the earth the full 
cup of God's penalty. He dumps it out. Here it is. Verses 17 and 18 of Revelation 16. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple, saying, It is finished. Then the thunder crashed and rolled, and lightning flashed, and a great earthquake struck. The worst sense people were placed on the earth. Between the cross of Jesus Christ and the judgment of Jesus Christ at the end of the age, Jesus takes the penalty of God upon himself for all sin and all evil and all injustice. He takes it. Which means that when you and I go and we engage in doing justice in things like setting captive peoples free, that work that we engage in exists between those two pronouncements that come not from us, but from God. The first is from the cross. As Jesus announces, in grace, mind you, it is finished. That's a gracious announcement. It is finished. Grace pouring down, pouring out on humanity. And the other pronouncement, this time from the throne of heaven, Jesus Christ himself It is finished, this time not so much grace. This time loaded with the judgment, you can call it the wrath of God if you'd like, poured out over all sin and all evil and all injustice. And it's at that moment that all of our doing justice has its orientation. It's all pointed toward that this moment where the authority of Jesus Christ is unleashed and justice descends directly from the throne room of God. Perfect justice. Finally, finally, finally. And so you and I, when we go and when we engage in things like setting captives free, we're setting up, we're establishing in time and space the reality of the reign of Jesus Christ. It's already, but it's not yet. And we bring it. And so, you see, our ministry of doing justice, our ministry of setting captives free, it gets walked out between those two songs. Exodus 15, the freed slave nation sings the song of Moses as an act of worship to God for his incredible miraculous deliverance. We're free. We're free. And then in Revelation chapter 15, the soon to be, this is us by the way, soon to be vindicated people of God again will sing all of us the song of Moses in anticipation of his final deliverance his judgment of end time Babylon. Revelation 15, And I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them, and they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Here it is. Great, and we're all going to be singing this. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous deeds have been revealed. God's story is 
perfect from Exodus 15 to Revelation 15 between these two incredible melodies of justice and freedom. We discover the mission of God for us. In God, we find the hope and power to engage in things like undoing the enslavement of human beings, of people. The scroll has been unsealed. The final trumpet has sounded. Now Jesus Christ in his glory descends. And John says, I saw it. I saw a sea mixed with fire. That's a very clear allusion to the sea and fire of the book of Exodus. God liberating Israel from Egypt. And you should go read the entirety of Revelation 16 sometime. And you see cup upon cup upon cup poured out in judgment upon the earth. And the thing you see again and again and again is the unique emphasis put on Babylon, the city of Babylon. Why? Why Babylon? Why does Babylon catch so much of God's judgment? Because what Egypt was to the Israelites, Babylon is to all the earth especially the earth in the end of time. Slave-making, oppressive embodiment of wickedness. That's Babylon. And God stops to give very special attention to Babylon because it is both the type and the specific embodiment of the kind of wickedness that God is challenging you and I to go and put a stop to. In particular, the enslavement of people. It's the intertwining of power, wealth, sexual sin. It all adds up to paint a picture of indulgence at the expense of the human soul, including modern day slavery. And one day the kings of the earth will weep, for their empires of evil are lost forever. Revelation chapter 18, verses 11 to 13. The merchants of the world will weep and mourn for her, Babylon, for there is no one left to buy their goods. She bought great quantities of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple silk, scarlet cloth, things made of fragrant thyine wood, ivory goods, objects made of expensive wood, bronze, iron, marble. She also bought cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and bodies. That is human slaves. The judgment of Egypt was a judgment against slavery. The same judgment from God that's coming for Babylon that represents end time, modern day world. And the song of Moses is sung just prior to the final judgment of Babylon because this judgment is a judgment against the enslavement of the human soul and God hates slavery. God hates slavery in every time and every place and his challenge to you and I is to be a part of the beginning of the end of slavery today. Free those captives from their chains. Set them free. Because in the end, all of this is Babylon. And the modern-day slave crisis is the manifestation of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years of little boys and little girls hoping beyond hope for their capital L liberator, someone who will sweep in and someone who will set them free. And look at what John writes in Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. 
His eyes were like flames of fire. On his head were many crowns, and his title was the word of God. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And you and I, church, we've been given the power that can change the world, the ministry of setting captives free. And one day, one day Jesus is coming to make all things new. And in the interim, we set captives free on his behalf. He's charged us. He's said, go. You go. You go. And next weekend at the Love and Justice Conference, We're going to put lots and lots and lots of handles on just what it can look like for you and for your family to engage in helping to go and set captives free. Don't miss it. Because as Revelation chapter 21 promises, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And today the newness comes through you and today the newness comes through me, all of us setting captives free. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would, and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And would you just ask the Lord, what is my part? God, how is it that you want me to be a part of setting captive people free, literally? What is my part? And maybe some of you, you've got exact precise ways I'm going to go and I'm going to do this, I'm going to financially support a ministry that does, I'm going to, your blanks are all filled in. Maybe for some others of us, we got a lot more questions than answers. We'll help you. We'll gladly help you. Because we are all on the hook. Maybe you need some conversation with some of us around here, Gladly. Maybe the Love and Justice Conference is just the thing for you. But just don't, whatever you do, just don't be ambivalent about this. Whatever you do, don't just go, uh, it's a problem that's happening elsewhere and I don't see it every day and so it's invisible to me. Don't. God hates slavery. And he's asked you and I to be a part of setting captives free.
And so we will. And maybe for some of you, today is in part about you believing on Jesus Christ as your liberator once and for all. Your liberator. Believing on Him who took the brunt of your judgment so that you could be set free from the chains of sin and shame. If that's you today, you can take the very bold step of crossing the line of faith in Jesus by praying with me. And I invite you, if that's you, to pray with me. Say to Him, Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. I'm a sinner desperately in need of you, my Savior, the one who died on the cross in my place. Jesus, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation right here, right now. And I offer to you all of my gratitude for your dying on the cross in my place, your rising from the dead for me. Thank you, Jesus. Here's my heart, and here's my life, and here's my everything. Here I am, Jesus. And if you're a person today who's crossing the line of faith in him, that's the biggest deal ever for you. Nothing matters more. Nothing, and I mean nothing, carries more weight. It's such a big deal that around here we invite people to tell us when they make that decision. I want you to know this is a private deal. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Nobody's looking around this room. But if you prayed with me just then to cross the line of faith in Jesus Christ, would you just be so bold as to slip your hand up right now and lock eyes with me? Don't be shy. But yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Way to go. Jesus Christ, your liberator. Way to go. Yes. And you, yeah, buddy. Yes. And you, yes. And you, Yes. Jesus Christ, your liberator. Once and for all. Free from shackles of sin and shame. Yeah, way to go. Yes. Yes, way to go. Free from shackles of sin and shame. Jesus, we stand back and we look at your story unfolding from the very beginning of all time and we're just in awe. You again and again setting captive people free all the way to this very day in this very room. Lives shackled up to sin and shame and you bring freedom through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. And Jesus, we pray that we would be people who go walk out your message and truth of your freedom. Spiritually, absolutely, but as well as tangibly, Jesus, that you would use us to set captive people free right here in such a way that your kingdom comes on earth through us just as it is in heaven. Please, 
God. 